It is a privilege to bring the message this morning and contribute to the series we've been working through, what we talk about, when we talk about, and have you picked up on the theme today, surrender. We're going to be talking about what we talk about, surrender. So most of you know that I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, and for our family, that meant that every time the doors were open, there was anything going on in the church, we were there. Whether it was prayer meetings, Sunday evening service, kids programming, Bible quizzing, whatever it was, we were a part of it. And when I was finally old enough to be a part of our church youth group, I felt that I had somehow finally arrived, that I could finally be a part of those mysterious overnight things that middle schoolers and high schoolers would go to. Of course, for church kids, that usually meant short mission or outreach trips, retreats, or camps. And I grew up in western Pennsylvania, so every fall our church would go to our district retreat center in Butler, Pennsylvania for a weekend retreat, and I couldn't wait to be able to go on these weekends. And when I finally did, I enjoyed almost every minute of it, and I wish I could say that my most memorable moments were from something from the pastor's messages or some kind of spiritual aha moment. Of course, those weekends were very formational for me, but I think my most memorable moments were the games, particularly one called Capture the Flag. Now, if you have played Capture the Flag or you have kids that have played it, you know that there are two teams divided by a boundary line. The whole point of the game is to cross into the other team's territory and capture that flag and get it back across to your home territory without being tagged. And our youth group would play after dark to add a little bit more excitement to this game. And as much as I loved playing it, I honestly was probably not much of an asset to my team. I'm sure I could chase, chase others around, try to tag them and do my part, but I really wouldn't be considered a threat by the opposing teammates. But I remember this one time when a few of my friends and I were able to sneak undetected across the other team's boundary line, and somehow or other we distracted the guards, and we were able to snatch the opposing team's flag. And I remember holding that flag, the thrill of it, as I ran back towards my home territory. Yet I also remember the terror of being surrounded by bigger, older members of the opposing team who really would do anything to get that flag from me. And of course, I was smaller and weaker, and so rather than being chased or tagged or having that flag ripped out of my hands, I stopped where I was and I shouted, wait, I surrender. And of course, the game went on without me having scored any points for my team. Surrender. It's not in our nature to surrender, is it? 
whether it's a team game like capture the flag or a board game or an argument point, it's hard for us to give up what we want, to surrender our desires, our needs, our dreams, to surrender ourselves. Over the last month here at Calvary, we've been digging into different aspects of our walk with God, what we talk about when we talk about the kingdom of God. Love, new birth, transformation. These words or phrases that we often hear in the church, sometimes we don't fully understand what they mean. What is it that we talk about when we talk about surrender? You've likely heard people say, I surrendered my life or my heart to God. Well, what does that mean? And what does God's word show us that it means? So this morning, we are going to dig into the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at the prophet Isaiah to help us with this understanding of surrender. Isaiah was one of the prophets, of course, called by God to preach to the southern kingdom of Judah calling God's people to turn back to him. And even though Isaiah was faithful to God, he preached God's words, the people often didn't listen to him. And the timeline of Isaiah continues through the fall of Jerusalem, through the Babylonian exile, even until the time when the people came back to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. It's a story of God's people more often turning away from him rather than turning to him in full surrender, despite God initi God's initiative in reaching for them. But the book of Isaiah communicates there was hope for restoration. There was hope for renewal, even in the midst of exile, because God is a God of hope and a God of redemption. And in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8, we're invited into a vision that the Lord experiences with Isaiah. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 6, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 8 this morning. And in these verses, Isaiah was likely in the temple in Jerusalem when God revealed himself through this vision. And on this particular day, Isaiah had eyes to see, and he had ears to hear, as the heavens opened, and Isaiah witnessed the Lord. So Isaiah 6, starting with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. And we are going to walk through these verses together, considering what this passage in particular has to reveal to us about surrender. So we're going to begin by thinking about what Isaiah saw in this vision. Isaiah likely came to the temple every day to worship, and on this particular day, God allowed Isaiah to catch a glimpse of his glory. And I don't know about you, but I can't really even begin to picture in my mind exactly what it is that Isaiah saw. But Isaiah does use some descriptive words that help us kind of wrap our minds around this. First, Isaiah saw the majesty of the Lord. Verse 1 tells us that the Lord was high and exalted, seated on a throne, and so majestic that the hem or the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah is referring here to the Lord as the sovereign one, as the king, as Yahweh, Sabiath. This is the Lord of all, including the Lord of Isaiah. Isaiah also witnesses the holiness of the Lord. And we read the description of these heavenly beings of the seraphim whose sole purpose it is to serve the Lord and to declare his glory and his holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This presence and this holiness of the Lord caused the temple to shake as smoke fills the scene, obscuring Isaiah's view from looking directly at the Lord. And this presence that Isaiah finds himself in, this sovereign, majestic, holy God, an experience unlike anything that Isaiah has ever truly encountered. And how did Isaiah respond? Here was Isaiah called by God as a prophet to God's people, to call them back to God, warning them of God's judgment. Yet in this vision, he is enveloped within the holiness of the Lord. And in this presence, Isaiah has a realization of himself. He realizes he is just like the people whom he is calling back to the Lord. And compared to this holy God, he is nothing. Can you relate to Isaiah here? Sometimes we think of ourselves as better than we are. Maybe we think our sin isn't as bad as this or that or what that person is doing. Or we think we can make ourselves look good enough. But God always looks at the condition of our hearts. And here Isaiah realizes his unworthiness. He is unclean too in comparison to the majesty and the holiness of God. And maybe even saying that he realizes his unworthiness 
is a bit of an understatement because Isaiah is distraught by his unworthiness in the presence of his holy God. And he cries out, woe to me. But we could also say that as I am undone, I am lost, I am ruined, I am destroyed. Isaiah is devastated. And if we look at the message paraphrase of Isaiah's words here, it reads doom. It's doomsday. I'm as good as dead. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even, and the people I live with talk the same way, using words that corrupt and desecrate. And here I've looked God in the face, the king, God of the angel armies. Isaiah realizes he is as good as dead. There is no way that he can save himself. Here Isaiah has been pointing his finger at God's people, at his community, calling them to turn back to God. Yet he realizes he is one of them. Isaiah has been accusing God's people of unclean lips, of self-centered hearts. As John Oswald puts it, of arrogant self-sufficiency. And Isaiah realizes he is also guilty. He is sinful. He is unworthy of this holy God. And he is undone, ruined, doomed. Have you been there? Have you recognized your unworthiness in contrast to the holiness and the majesty of God? Do you see your own arrogant self-sufficiency? Left on our own, we are all doomed. But God. In Romans 6.23, Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God. And God doesn't leave Isaiah laying there face down, shamed, guilty, and undone. But God, in his loving kindness and his merciful way, takes the initiative, sending the seraphim to purify Isaiah's unclean heart with this burning coal, death for life. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And Isaiah has an open heart to receive this gift. God doesn't ask Isaiah to go offer a sacrifice or perform a great deed or go do this and that to earn this forgiveness and this purification. He doesn't tell Isaiah to go get his act together before he can come and be made pure. God simply wants Isaiah to fully offer himself as the offering. And Isaiah's heart is open. He realizes his self-life, his sinful heart, his own arrogant self-sufficiency. And God's grace is enough to cover it all. God's forgiveness is a free gift to Isaiah. And it's a free gift to us possible only because of God's mercy and his 
grace and his love. And Isaiah has an open heart of confession to receive this gift, to be made pure. And he is changed. But this encounter, this vision isn't fully over yet. The last verse, verse 8 here, is key to us understanding what God is showing us about surrender. Because Isaiah doesn't just walk away. He responds. He fully surrenders by offering himself to this holy God who has shown his divine grace to him. And he responds, here I am. Send me, I will go. And God extends that same invitation to us. How will we respond? This is a picture of a bronze sculpture called Born Again by Dean Kermit Allison. Many of you have probably seen this sculpture or this image before, particularly if you have taken the Christ Life Solution classes here at Calvary. It's often a part of those classes. But it gives us a wonderful vision, a visual of the spiritual rebirth that happens when we trust in Christ. And this is what Pastor Nick has been speaking to us about the last few weeks, this new birth, this transformation that happens when we trust in Christ. This image helps us to clearly see the change, the life transformation, the stripping away that happens when we become followers of Christ. And on that statue, can you see that outer layer of yuck. It's a layer of rebellious self-life, of arrogant self-sufficiency in which we want control of our lives. We want what we want. We are guilty, just as Isaiah was. And just like Isaiah, we are not worthy of God's forgiveness, his love, his mercy. Woe to me, as Isaiah said, I am doomed. I am as good as dead. And anytime we truly encounter the holiness of God, we're left undone because we are not worthy. And we have to recognize and come to grips with our sinfulness, with our rebellion, with our desire for control before we can surrender it all to him. But God doesn't want us to stay stuck in that muck that we see on the outside of that statue there. He wants to peel it back. He wants to purify us as we allow him to change us and we exchange our life for his life in and through us. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And this is what happened to Isaiah when he recognized his unworthiness and he embraced this new life as a fully devoted follower of Yahweh the Lord. He was undone. Yet through the grace of God, he fully surrendered himself. He was made pure. And this is what happens to us when we fully surrender, when we fully give ourselves to God so that our whole lives become about him 
and his glory and his purposes. Life is about him, not about us. He is on the throne as Isaiah witnessed, and we are undeserving of his grace. But God, when our hearts are open to him as Isaiah's was, and we realize the sinful mess that we are, he purifies us. He forgives us. He redeems us. And if you look again at that statue, if we can put it up again, look at the difference between that outer yuck and that inner pure crystal. God purifies us. He makes us whole. The old has gone. The new is here. His grace enables us to see the truth about ourselves. And even though we are undeserving, he makes us new. He restores us. And it is through his love, his initiative, his grace that we are able to fully surrender to him and to continue surrendering to him each day and in each moment as our lives are filled with his hope and his purpose. But what now? Do you have a full picture here of what we talk about when we talk about surrender? Earlier I mentioned that game of capture the flag and my not so courageous surrender of the flag. And I think oftentimes we think of surrender as the raising of our hands, as the waving of a white flag, as if God is somehow out to get us or to conquer us, or we think of surrender as only a last resort, like an enemy who has been defeated. But that's not how God thinks of us. He reaches out to us in his love and his grace. And what if we thought about our surrender, the giving and the yielding of ourselves as more of an offering? Have you ever received a gift from a child that they either made themselves or hand-wrapped themselves? As a mom, I love receiving these little hand-wrapped and handmade gifts from my kids. Not perfect, sometimes even a mess but always given from a place entirely out of love for me. And I have a whole stash of these treasures. So what if you saw yourself as an imperfect and an unworthy gift, as a potential yet undeserving treasure? This is what it means to surrender, to offer yourself as a gift to the one who gave all to save you, the one who surrendered everything for you. He purifies you. He gives you new life. And then you give it back to him. God is calling you to surrender yourself to him. He wants you to offer yourself to him so that he can strip away that self-sufficiency layer by ugly layer even the parts of us that have been in hiding. So what is it that God is bringing to light for you this morning? 
What area is he bringing to your mind, even right now in these moments, that needs to be surrendered or fully offered to him? What are you holding on to in your arrogant self-sufficiency? We tend to tuck away the things we don't want to be seen, right? Whether it's anger or selfishness, pride, control, arrogance, prejudice, bias, greed. We want to keep those parts of us hidden. But God wants it all because he wants to transform it all. God's grace enables you to offer yourself fully back to him. He is calling you to surrender. So how will you respond today? How different would our families look? Would our communities look? Would our church look? If both individually and collectively, we offered ourselves fully to God. What if we all surrendered or all yielded our arrogant self-sufficiency declaring, here I am, send me. Here we are, send us. Remember, Isaiah was moved to a response. He wasn't done just with the surrendering. He was ready to go and serve God and his purposes. And that's what he did. So how different would our world look if we were collectively moved to respond to God's gift of surrender by surrendering to him, fully exchanging ourselves for his life in and through us, exchanging our self-love for love for God and others, exchanging our self-centeredness by placing the needs of others above our own, exchanging our self-will for his will, exchanging our purposes for God's kingdom purposes, exchanging our old life for this new life in and through Christ, and then surrendering or offering that beautiful new life back to him. And we may think that because we made a one-time choice to become a follower of Christ, that the work is done. And I know many of us here today can confidently say, yes, I am a follower of Christ. I have offered myself to him. But are there layers of self-life that remain that God wants to peel back? What are you still hanging on to that you might not even be aware of? How does he want to make you even more pure like himself? Isaiah had been called as God's prophet. There's a whole book of the Bible written from his messages. So surely he was worthy, right? But no, we are all doomed without the grace of God. But God in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is surrender a living sacrifice, 
a laying down of self, an offering of our whole selves to God, just like Isaiah. Fully surrendered lives that make life all about God, all about his purposes. And I don't know about you, but I love reading stories about people throughout time and history who surrendered all in really big and dramatic ways. People who yielded their lives to God and his purposes. I love reading about the martyrs who give their physical life for God. About the missionaries who are called by God to different countries and different cultures to share the good news of Jesus. About those who endlessly give in service to the kingdom even in the midst of really difficult circumstances. Hearing those big stories is inspirational. But what about the dad who lives a surrendered life, joyously going to a job maybe he doesn't enjoy to provide for his family? And as he works, he befriends his coworkers and he is Jesus to them or the teacher who lives a surrendered life by allowing Jesus to love through her as she ministers to children desperately in need of love and attention, or the teen who volunteers his time after school tutoring kids from families with a lack of resources, or the retired grandma who sends notes of encouragement and love to family and friends, or the servants here within our own church community who give of themselves week after week, teaching and guiding children and students, helping them be to become devoted followers of Christ. The list could go on and on and on of every day, ordinary acts of service done in love by surrendered followers of Jesus. A surrendered life responses to God's invitation to join his work. When we surrender, we offer our whole selves fully to God and to his purposes. So is today the day for you to step out of the darkness, embracing his light and his truth about yourself, realizing that without this majestic and sovereign and loving God, that you are doomed, that it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. Life is about him. What step of surrender, of yielding, of offering yourself does God want you to take? What has he revealed to you about yourself? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a sinful pattern. Maybe it's an area that you have been holding on to control of instead of trusting it in God's hands. Maybe it's making life about you instead of about him. So as we close in song this morning, I invite you to respond to him and the loving, convicting voice that he might be whispering in your ear this morning. You are welcome to stand or kneel right where you are. Of course, the altars are always open if you'd like to come forward and pray. But as we sing, Let's all embrace and respond with an inner posture of yielding, of offering ourselves to God's glory 
and his purposes, declaring, here I am, send me. Our God is a God of forgiveness, restoration, redemption, healing for our brokenness. And that invitation is extended to each one of us. As we close this morning, I invite you to stand with me. We are going to read a covenant prayer together. This has been slightly revised, changed from the singular to plural, to make it collective, a collective response of surrender this morning. Would you pray with me? We are no longer our own, but yours. Put us to what you will, place us with whom you will. Put us to doing, put us to suffering. Let us be put to work for you and set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let us be full, let us be empty. Let us have all things, let us have nothing. We freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are ours and we are yours. So be it. And the covenant which we have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Amen.